0: couple of things I want to mention to you, you can go ahead and take your Bibles or you can turn to, uh, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 1 and then we're going to be going over to Luke chapter 1. So if you want to start with me in Matthew, we can do that. Just a couple of things I want to mention to you and then we will get into God's word for today as soon as I get organized too. What is this Saturday? Christmas City. Way behind, aren't you? There is no Christmas City this year, which means there is no God. There is no Christmas City, but that's okay. One of the, one of the uh, costs of the pandemic this year is no Christmas City. But I'm going to drive out there and just drive through the uh, parking lot, drive around all the stop at all the trailers and say I remember this here and this here and uh, I probably told you all the story about we went a few years ago and uh, Mr. Lonnie Rose that, that runs the place and just uh, he's been there forever and and uh, just a great guy and he's the one that's always out there with a the microphone talking and, and getting people to sing and so he was trying to have a contest. Who's been coming into Christmas City the longest? And Beth and I were standing there, my daughter, and we were standing there. And, and so he starts asking people, who's been coming 10 years? And they're raising their hand. And who's been coming 20 years? They're raising their hand. And he said, anybody been coming longer than that? And Beth and I both raised our hand. He goes, well, how long y'all been coming? 33 years. He goes, I think y'all won. And so he said, we're now going to sing. He said, either one of y'all sing? And I stepped back and. So he said, he said, he says, the young lady is. He said, young lady, do you sing? And she goes, yeah, I sing sometimes. And he said, well, you need. And so she just starts singing whatever Christmas carol he wanted to sing. Of course, Beth has a, she has a half decent voice since I started working with her. And so she just starts singing, and he goes, whoo! Said that's really good. I said you need to tell your pastor at church to let you sing. And she goes, you tell him. He's standing right there. <laughs> it's also my daddy. So. Been been going the long. That's all right. I'll be there next year. Still be going the longest. All right. So Saturday, this Saturday is uh, our monthly help group day at, at the Bartlett campus. And uh, again, as usual, we'll, we, had a, we had almost 500 last week, uh, uh, last month, I think. So it's going to be a big deal, especially this time of year and, and uh, all stuff that we can give away. So again, if you can help Saturday... Whether you're watching virtually or you're in here, if you can help Saturday, uh, we desperately need it. Uh, Starting uh, particularly from about 9 to noon, you really need the bodies there both in the the gym to get the food and then on the parking lot to distribute it, put it in the cars. So this Saturday, the 19th at 9 o'clock at the Bartlett campus, if you can do that, we genuinely would appreciate it. And I want to address something, and then uh, just to make sure that I do. And I will remind you that if you can make it tonight, uh, 5 o'clock, I believe it is, make sure it's 5 o'clock at the Bartlett campus. We're going to have our annual kind of family Christmas, both campuses coming together at, at uh, the Bartley campus tonight. You can check and see, but I'm pretty sure it's 5 o'clock. It's either, I'll get there at 5 and maybe 6. If we get there early, we'll just sit around and talk. But 5 o'clock tonight at the Bartlett campus. now One of the things I want to address with you, just on a a personal level, on a church-wide level, on a family level, because the the bottom line, and I want to talk about pandemic, and I want to talk about specifically the wearing of masks. As Christians, the bottom line is, as the body of Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ, how does the world know that we're Christians, Jesus said, our love for each other? Now, I love my family. Do I always agree with with my family on every decision that they make? You now my son moved yesterday and we were having some conversations over the phone and he he's my son and we don't always agree about things and he's 30 something years old and no, I don't always agree. I've been married 47 years and my wife is dear perfect. Actually, you are perfect, dear. So, yeah, thank you. I've been married 47 years, and Mary and I don't agree on everything. Now, we're the exact opposite in many ways. There are things that we, we just don't agree on, but do we stop loving each other? No. So one of the things that during this nasty pandemic and the wearing of masks, and one of the things I see happening in the church is that people are getting at odds with each other over something that it's silly. We shouldn't be getting at odds with another. For example, you may be in the camp that says, masks are stupid, I don't need one, they don't do any good. I'm not wearing one. I have a doctor, a physician told me that. But he has to wear it because why? It's, it's, the health department requires it and the, the, the group that he works for requires it. So he has to. Does he think it's working? No. I also have another physician. I have a lot of physicians. Matter of fact, I should be a physician. I should be a gastrophysician for sure, as well as a cardiologist, but we'll leave that for now. I have another physician that told me he thinks they help, and he's in the camp, that wear wear one. Now, I respect, admire, listen to, and take the advice of both men. They're on polar opposites when it comes to wearing masks. And I guarantee you, we could go around the room, and there, we're going to, there are going to be some that are on polar opposites when it comes to wearing masks. There are going to be some that say, I'm, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm not wearing one. I respect that. But I also know that you just about can't walk in any building, now public building, without having one on, can you? It's just the way it is. Now, as far as the church is concerned, There's a principle, and by the way, this sermon doesn't cost you anything. We're going to get to Matthew and and, uh, uh, Luke in a moment. This one's free. There's a principle in scripture from the book of Romans called, in the body of Christ, amongst believers. Forget the world for a moment. Those of us that are born again, it's the body of Christ. There's a principle called freedom versus profitability. It has nothing to do with money. I'm free as a Christian, a child of God, to choose to wear a mask never. I'm free to do that. But the reason I wear one is, number one, this has nothing to do with freedom and profitability. This is another reason. Number one is because the health department requires me to wear it at certain times, even in, in, in this building or in our other building, it's just required in certain cities. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the freedom versus profitability principle is the one I really want to dwell on because this is where loving each other comes into play. It's very important. There are certain people within the body of Christ, Christians at Christ Church that feel like that they're at risk and they want you to wear a mask so that it, it makes them feel more comfortable in case you have it or you've been exposed and even if you disagree, because you, you're free not to wear it, but the most profitable thing you do from a, from a loving testimony, freedom versus profitability, the most profitable thing for you to do as a believer on behalf of that other believer is to wear the mask. Even if you don't think it's necessary. You wear it because you love the other person. Simple example from scripture, and I've used it before, but it just says it beautifully. Paul had called Timothy, was taking Timothy, a young man with him, and go on his missionary journeys. And Timothy was about thirty years old. Timothy was half Jewish, half Gentile, never been circumcised. Paul asked him to get circumcised so he could, the Jews would accept him to be witness to. I want you to pause for a moment and understand for a thirty year old man being circumcised without anesthesia. That's a sacrifice. I can wear a mask. Even though I don't think it's necessary, depending on whichever camp you're in. You know which camp I'm in? I ain't in I don't know. I don't know. So when I'm around other people, I just wear one. Now, as far as the church is concerned, here's what the requirement is by the law in the state of Tennessee, versus free, and add to that freedom probability. I we'll wanna say one more thing about freedom probability and we'll get to the state of Tennessee. It's important that we love each other even though we disagree. I can wear a mask if it allows me to be able to love on you and for us to worship. There are some people who won't come to church because people aren't wearing masks. They're scared. So shouldn't I wear a mask to encourage my my brother or sister in Christ to come? Yes, because I love them and I want to be able to worship together. Again, no matter what you think, whichever camp you're in. Now, back to the state of Tennessee and what the governor has said and where we are. What we're asking you to do, what he's asking us to do, and this is kind of where we are, we all pray that the vaccines work and, we, and that shortly we can forget about this and move on. But right now, here's where we are. When you come into the building in the common area, what we call the lobby, either campus, when you come into what's com- called common areas, and then even when you come in here and just hanging out, just please wear a mask. When you come in here, once you sit down, like in your family, what they call family pods. Like right here, we have the Nance pod. Over here, we got the Clay pod. And, and uh, back there in the back, we got the, the Widom pod. When you sit down as a group in your family where you are, you can take your mask off. So when we get through and you get up and you get ready to start stacking chairs and moving around again, what do you need to do? Put it back on. And again, I understand you may think it's stupid, unnecessary. I ain't doing it. I understand that. And I respect that opinion. I don't like wearing them because I have sinus issues and at times it's a a struggle for me to breathe. I couldn't do what I'm doing right here, right now. I'm not doing it very well anyway, but I couldn't do it with a mask on. I could get by, but again, as soon as I'm through and I walk down here, what do I do? Although sometimes I forget, it's funny when I get home, first thing Mary says, you forgot to put your mask on when you got through preaching. She told me that one Sunday, and I know she's watching now. So I walked in and she said, you know, you forgot to put your mask on when you went down and you were standing next to Steve and you didn't have your mask on. I said, well, Steve's all right. She said, you know, you didn't put your mask on. I said, Mary, what was my sermon about today? (laughs) Probably shouldn't have done that, huh? Which one of y'all can I go home? Y'all been tested. I'm going home with y'all. So, again, it's not something that we should divide over. Does that make sense? It's not something we should divide over. All right. Let's go now to Matthew chapter 1. And let's talk about Gabriel's message to Joseph and Mary. How many of you like Christmas signs? You got a sign in your yard or you see signs? You like those? We talked about last week, I love Christmas signs. I love to see what people say, what they put up. I want to read a couple of them to you that I saw this week that I just thought, I saw, really cool. Calories that you get at Christmas, they don't count. I like that. Friends don't give friends what? Fruitcake. Lord have mercy. I remember my mom, we had, you ever have somebody give you a fruitcake, and you know, it's a, where can I use this as a doorstop? Yes. Friends don't give friends fruitcake. Anyone who's shopping for me for Christmas, anyone who's Christmas shopping for me, I wear a size 100 in dollar bills. Here's one of my favorites. The sign downtown. If you're making a Christmas wish, you won't get your car back. This is a no parking zone. It will be towed. And then finally, my favorite. Dear Santa, I've been good all year. Okay, most of the time. Once in a while. I'll forget it. I'll buy my own stuff. All right, turn to Matthew 1. And let's look. We started. We looked last week at Gabriel's message to Zacharias and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's parents. What I want to look at today is Gabriel's message to Joseph and Mary. We all know who Joseph and Mary are. If you don't? You can see their pictures up here. That's exactly what they look like. Most people don't know that. You ever see the story of a little kid was making a, a he's making a drawing and, and said and his, his dad asked him what are you drawing? He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And he said nobody knows what God looks like. And the kid said what? They will when I finish. (laughs) Confidence. Pardon me. All right. (laughs) Galatians 4, the Bible says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. We were talking about this idea of the messages from Gabriel at the time of Christmas. The fullness of time, God's eternal plan of redemption was coming forth. And here it is. So, We want to look in Matthew chapter 1 of what Gabriel's message was to Joseph, Matthew chapter 1. So the context of Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and we joked about this last week, if you open your Bible in the New Testament, I remember when I got mine at age 12 and opened it up and started reading all the big ads and I closed it and never read that little white New Testament again until I got got saved a few years later and somebody gave me a real Bible and I started reading, the only one in the real Bible, I just didn't understand it. So I didn't know what begats were and I thought the Bible is boring. I'm not listening to that. So, Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 17 are the the human heredity of Jesus of Nazareth. It establishes and this is why it's important and why Matthew is writing his gospel to Jews. To prove that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. So verse, and we talked about this last week. To a Jew being able to trace your heritage back was incredibly important. And so Matthew begins to list the genealogy of Jesus. Under Joseph was his legal father, not his biological father, but his legal father as a Jew. And so verses 1 through 17 is Jesus' human heredity, his genealogy, that establishes in the mind of a Jew Jesus' legal, legal right to the throne of David. For example, if I were a Jew and I said, I'm a son of David, I had to be able to prove that. We talked about those records were in the temple and Herod had them destroyed and then they were completely destroyed in AD 70 by the Romans. But a couple of things you see in, in Matthew 1, 1 through 17. Number one, you see the historical fact that Jesus Christ was real, that he was Jewish that he was part of history, whether you believe that he was the Messiah, whether you believe he was the the Christ, the Savior of the world, that comes down to who you are and what you believe. But the fact that he existed, that's what this genealogy is part of proving. And it also proved his legal right to to the throne of David. One of the other things you see in here, it's kind of beautiful. we're We're not exegeting verses 1 through 17, but just setting up the context of verses 18 through 25. One of the things you see in verses 1 through 17 is the grace of God. Four women, four women are listed in the Jewish genealogy of Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Four women Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. This was incredibly unusual because how did, view, how did Jews view women? They, they looked at them like they were property, that was their mindset. That's the way they looked at it. So the fact that in the genealogy of Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Messiah, that women are listed, is literally showing the high opinion that God had of women. And to make a point, that the church is neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. We're one in Jesus Christ. So you see the grace of God. So the point is, Joseph is Jesus' legal dad, even though not his biological one. Now, our text for today, verses 18 through 25, verses 1 through 17, you see Jesus' human heredity. Verses 18 through 25, you see his divine heredity. And the idea is this. Look at verse 16 for just a moment. Verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary. It's one of the most important verses in the Bible. Joseph, even though... It doesn't look like it. Joseph, uh, verse 16, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ or Savior, anointed one, or in the mind of a Jew, Messiah. That verse 16, where it says husband of Mary, notice it's not father of Jesus, it's husband of Mary. And it says of whom. That is Greek, feminine, Singular. So in other words, Jesus' earthly parents were Joseph and Mary. Mary birthed him, but Joseph was not the seed through whom Jesus was born. She was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, not by Joseph, the virgin birth. And why is this so important? We're not necessarily talking about the virgin birth today. We'll deal with that next week a little bit. Why is that important? Because if Jesus was born of Joseph, if Joseph was a seed by which he was impregnated in Mary, and Jesus was born of him, he would have been a sinner. And as a sinner, he couldn't what? He couldn't save you. He was a sinner. So Jesus was two things, 100% a man and 100% God. So Matthew's very first point in his gospel, written to Jews, is that Jesus of Nazareth is the God-man. John, in his gospel, does the exact same thing in his prologue. We've quoted it many times. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. That means before there was time, God existed and the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word, the eternal second person of the Trinity, God, at a point in time, Greek, Aristotle, definite point in time, he stepped on the planet Earth and fulfilled the prophecy from Isaiah, God became a man, the God-man. That's exactly what Matthew is beginning with. Jesus was God, and Jesus was man. Both, Emmanuel, prophet, again, fulfilling prophecy. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us, God in flesh, incarnation. So without the virgin birth, without, without Emmanuel understanding this, we have no hope. We could follow Jesus Christ and, 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 and be good people and have a good life, but not redemption. He couldn't save us from our sin. But because he's 100% God and 100% man and lived a sinless, perfect life, he could die for us atoning substitutionary death. He took my sin, my death. And he conquered it when he rose from the dead at Calvary. That's the message that begins in Matthew. Remember, it's been 400 years. We talked about this last week. 400 years since they've heard from a prophet of God, Malachi. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene. And now he says, here comes the Messiah. And now here he is. So Gabriel's message to Joseph, verse 18 Let's we'll start there, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. The first thing that Gabriel is going to share with Joseph is you need to pursue God's plan. Not your own, but God's. So let's look at this. The birth of Jesus Christ. Birth. The word birth in verse 18 is the exact same word in Greek. It's used in verse 1 for genealogy. So you've got, again, human, genealogy, births, now divine, in leading into human. Two genealogies, human and divine. Mary and Joseph are betrothed. In, Jew, in Jewish law, it means they're legally married, but the ceremony hasn't taken place yet the, the, in Jewish custom. The ceremony hasn't taken place yet, nor have they slept together before they had come together. They have not slept together yes. They are legally married, but not yet, so they have, it's a time of probation to test fidelity, kind of like uh, getting engaged and you're going to get married down the road. They're testing the fidelity. They don't live together, they live apart in their families, and then ultimately the ceremony will take place, the consummation will take place, and there'll be a, a family leading going forward. Now they're legally married, betrothed, not yet, so. He finds out, Joseph finds out that his betrothed wife, the one he has not slept with, is pregnant. Now, let's be brutally frank. What's the first thing that goes through Joseph's mind? Two things. What are they? Number one, it's not my baby. He knows. Number two, it's somebody else's. And who is it? It's not mine. Who is it? So, at this point, Joseph... who. Is a godly man, a righteous man, chosen by God to be the earthly father of Jesus Christ. Joseph and Mary were highly blessed. We're going to look at Mary and hopefully today we're going to get to that. If not next week, they were blessed by God to be the earthly parents of Jesus of Nazareth, who was the Savior of the world. He was a godly man. So look at Gabriel's message to him. And again, put yourself in the scene. You're engaged to Mary. Going forward, this is a contract that was set up by your parents. You're now going to, you're going to, you betrothed her, you're going to marry her, she's going to be your wife, and she's pregnant. Now look at verse 19. Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Joseph was a just man. In other words, Joseph was a righteous man. It literally means he was morally pure. Greek means it means he was morally pure. And the picture here, the contrast, let's be brutally frank again. Morally pure. He was a virgin. And at this point, his assumption about his betrothed wife, Mary, is what? She's not. She's pregnant. We all know how that happens. And so in his mind, I'm morally pure, but I'm engaged or betrothed to Mary. And I know she's godly, but she's pregnant. She's not kept herself like I have. That's the immediate scene picture. So he's got two problems. I can't marry her because she is pregnant. By Jewish law, Mary and whoever impregnated her could have been executed. If at the very least they would have been shunned by both their family and the synagogue, but they could have been executed. And Joseph knows it's not his. They didn't have DNA tests back then either, by the way. He knows it's not his. So note that verse 19 is really powerful. He's got these problems. My betrothed wife is pregnant. But I love verse 19, the beauty of it. He's not thinking about himself. He's not saying, "How can I get out of this? What does he say? I don't want to embarrass Mary." I don't want to make her a public example. You have to understand how rare that would have been in that culture for him to say that. He's a righteous man. I don't want to embarrass her. I don't want to publicly shame her because it could lead to her being executed. I don't want to do that. He's a merciful, compassionate guy. So his plan is, I'm going to, quote, put her away secretly. Let me give you a euphemism, what that's a euphemism for. Privately divorce her. We're going to fly to Vegas, get taken care of. He's going to put her away privately, not make a public big deal out of it, and just put her away privately and no longer be legally married, get the divorce. What you see is, you don't see anger and resentment and bitterness. He's trying to protect Mary. Now, it would only probably protect her temporarily, but at least he's not thinking about whom himself. He's thinking about Mary Mary, whom he probably loves. Now again the the marriage was probably arranged by their families but he is betrothed to her and he's he's a just righteous man and he wants to protect her. So the third thing is just pursue God's direction. Even though it looks like this is crazy. You ever been in those situations? That does not make sense. So look what Gabriel says verse 20. While he thought about these things, and I bet he's thinking about them a lot. While he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife. By the way, is he afraid to take Mary as his wife? Of course he is. We just talked about that. For that to you, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So he's thinking about it. The angel, find out, it's Gabriel, appears to him and says, This is God's plan for you. Don't be afraid. Take Mary your wife. Yes, she's pregnant, but the child is of the Holy Spirit. He calls him son of David. Harken back to what we talked about a moment ago. By him addressing him as son of David and telling him that his wife is, who is a virgin, is carrying a child of the Holy Spirit. What he's saying to a Jew is, calling him son of David, your son Joseph is going to be the royal heir to the throne of David. You're his legal father and Mary is carrying in her womb the God-man or the Messiah. Pause for a moment. Can you imagine as difficult as it, the circumstance would be on the surface, you have been the Jewish couple that's been chosen by God to bring Messiah to planet Earth. Now again, many of them were confused. Even the disciples were confused about the role of the Messiah. What the Messiah was supposed to do is overthrow Rome and set up the kingdom. A lot of confusion here. A lot going on. But Joseph is being told by Gabriel, "You got to trust God." Does Joseph trust God? He does. He's a righteous man. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't seem logical. But we talked about it in a million times. God's way is always what? Perfect. Maybe not understandable in the moment. Mary and I talk about this almost every day right now, what we're going through, what she specifically is going through with this gastroparesis. its hard as it is, we don't know why and we don't know, but we, we, we've seen some of the whys. But we also don't understand the big picture, all that God is doing. And we may not know it all in this lifetime. But what we do know is what? God has proven himself to be faithful, God. And so as hard as it is, and I know some of you are facing very difficult, hard circumstances in your life right now. We don't understand the why, and we don't even like it. Sometimes we hate it. But we always come back to, all right, Lord, what are you doing, and how do you want me or us to handle this, respond in a way that glorifies you. That's exactly where Joseph and Mary are. Lord, what do you want? So he doesn't have an understanding. Verse 21, the Holy Spirit, she's conceived of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, Gabriel says, She'll bring forth a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin, shall be with child and bear a son. You'll call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So not understanding, he's saying, your son, Jesus, is going to be the Messiah. Wow. Mary, Gabriel tells him, is the virgin. Prophesied by Isaiah, Emmanuel, God with us. When it says the virgin here, it's the Greek definite article, which means how many of them are there? Only one. For example, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Greek Greek definite article. He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life that can get you into the presence of the Father. By him and him alone, one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's the only way you could get to know God, and to spend eternity with God. She's the virgin prophesied by Isaiah, the only one unique in the history of the human race. So she should be understanding, and we're going to see that with Mary, that it's understandable that she is blessed among women, but not blessed above women. We'll get to that in a moment. So with no hesitation, verse 24, what does Joseph do? Now, he was thinking about putting her away privately, divorcing her, getting this over with and moving on with his life. Gabriel appears to him in a dream and says, don't be afraid. Your wife is the, is the virgin prophesied by Isaiah. She's carrying the Messiah. You need to trust God. I love verse 24 and 25. It just seems like it's thrown in there to give us some geographical connection. What does verse 24 and 25 say? He woke up from his dream and did what? Exactly what God asked him to do you ever struggle with doing exactly what God asks you to do? I do. Because sometimes I don't understand it, or I don't like it, or I'm confused. Maybe we need to have a meeting. Maybe we need to talk. And God said, just do this. Remember now, this could have been costly to him, both with his family, with the synagogue. He's a carpenter. The I'm not doing business with Joseph. Look at Mary. He just goes home. He does what he's supposed to do. And he doesn't sleep with Mary until after their child, until Jesus is born. He obeys God with no hesitation. He's an earthly, he's a godly man. He obeyed, totally committed to God. Their future, what Joseph and Mary were looking forward to. Number one was the 70-mile journey to Bethlehem. Prophesied, Micah, Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the Messiah, so they're going to have to go to Bethlehem. The whole uh, census being called by the Romans God's in control of all that they're going to have to go to Bethlehem that's a 70 mile journey they have to make with a nine month pregnant wife I didn't go anywhere when my wife was nine months pregnant except to the refrigerator in back for her they got to go 70 miles and probably walk it maybe she rode on a donkey but they were poor good chance they had to walk the 70 miles to get to Bethlehem. Then they had to go get go 90 miles to Egypt to escape Herod when he decided he was going to kill all the boys under a certain age. So they had to flee to Egypt. That was 90 miles. Had to get to Egypt. They walked. By the way, that's desert terrain. Not, wait a minute, we're the parents of the Messiah. We can't get better than this. Jesus, the Messiah, is my boy. I can't, like, get a ride? You just trust God. Yeah, it's not easy. It's, sometimes it's really hard to trust God. Joseph was a God-new man. He's Jesus' earthly father. And we really don't see much in Scripture. You see, You see this here. He was a righteous Jew, a humble servant of God, he had Jesus, we see he gets Jesus circumcised when, as the Jews on the eighth day when he's supposed to, he gets circumcised. He took Jesus to the temple, he took Jesus to the synagogues and he celebrated the feast. The last time Joseph is mentioned in the Bible you see him at Passover in Jerusalem celebrating one of the feasts. Joseph's response to Gabriel was just to do what God told him to do. To obey, to trust God and then obey him. Now, turn to Luke chapter 1. Let's see what Gabriel said to Mary. Luke chapter 1. Context here, Mary is young. Probably somewhere around 13, 14 years old. I want you to pause for a moment and think, reflect on that. 13, 14 years old, somewhere along there. She's a simple, poor resident of a place called Nazareth. Look at chapter 2 for just a moment, verse 22. We'll come right back to 1. When the days of her purification, 222, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, where it's written in the law of the Lord, let every male who opens the womb shall be called... Holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle turtle doves or two young pigeons. What that tells you is, again, they go to make sacrifice, but they cannot afford a lamb. So what do they have to use? A turtle dove or a pigeon. It's because they're poor. And again, you got a lot of false teachers out there that say, look, Jesus was rich and his family was rich. No, they weren't. He was from a nasty place called Nazareth that that no one wanted anything to do with. His family was poor, and Joseph and Mary were poor. Again, pause for a moment and reflect on who did God choose to bring Messiah to planet Earth? Two righteous, poor, Jewish young people from a place called Nazareth that no one would even go to unless they had to. God's message is... The world sees one thing, I see what? The heart. The man looks at that outward appearance. Nazareth was in Galilee. You had Judea, you had Samaria, and you had Galilee. That was Palestine. Judea was where all the really cool Jews hung out. Galilee had Jews, and in between you had Samaritans that nobody, they were half-breeds that nobody wanted anything to do with. And then the Jews in Galilee were kind of like quite trash to the Jews down in Judea. They didn't want anything to do with them because they spent a lot of time with Gentiles and they were considered unclean or not kosher. So the Jews in Judea, the highbrows, the Pharisees and the rabbis, and all, they wanted nothing to do with the Jews in Galilee and looked down on them. It's a small village of only about 100 people. It's about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. It's never mentioned in the Old Testament And it's never mentioned in the writings of Josephus, a Jewish historian. It was simply a a common, rural, poor, insignificant place. It was off the beaten path. No trade routes went through there. No major roads went through there. And again, the Jews from Galilee looked down on the Jews. The Jews from Judea looked down on the Jews from Galilee. In John chapter 1, the Bible says this. Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. In other words, Philip goes to Nathanael and says, we found the Messiah. The one that Moses and the prophets talked about. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And what's Nathanael's answer? It can't be. Ain't nothing good happens in Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of there. That cannot be the home of the Messiah. It can't be. Yet it was. This is the person, this is the place that God chose. The parents of the Messiah. Mary is a poor, insignificant 13-year-old girl from a poor, insignificant place called Nazareth. Verse 26 of chapter 1, Luke. In the sixth month, sixth month means sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist, we talked about last week. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. There's that legal thing again. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. You need to circle, right, highlight the word among. Women, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. <laughs> what? And then the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. One of the things you see repeatedly in the Christmas story, you think for a moment, we all know the Christmas story and, and have heard it over and over again and read it to our kids and done seen plays. Every time the angel shows up to talk to somebody, what's the first thing the angel says? Don't be afraid. To the shepherds, to Joseph, the Mary, don't be afraid. In other words, that's probably a, a fearful scene to have an angel just kind of show up to talk to you. Yeah, I can see that. So we'll see that the shepherds next week, it wasn't just one, it Gabriel has a message, but there are thousands upon thousands there. They were afraid. I, I would be too. Joseph was, and Mary is. And Gabriel, I love that because God, first thing God does, let me reassure you, it's okay. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I got something cool to tell you. That's the way angels talk. I got something cool to tell you. You're really going to like this. Don't be afraid. So Gabriel's message to Mary, you're favored by God. Verse 28 and verse 30. says it twice. This is so important theologically. The word favored in Greek means you are a recipient of grace. You don't deserve it intrinsically by nature. For example, how how are we saved? For by grace you're saved through faith. That's not of words, not of you. You don't deserve it. That's literally what Gabriel is saying to Mary. You're favored by God. Not that you deserve it, not by nature You're a recipient of grace just like anyone else would be. This is a time, verse 28, to rejoice. Verse 28, quote, the Lord is with you. You're blessed among women. As I said earlier, not above women. Don't be afraid. Here's the point. Not to belabor it, but it's important. Mary was the one God chose to be the earthly mother of the Messiah, to be the virgin for whom would carry the Christ child. She is the most blessed woman that has ever walked planet earth, but she is not God. She is a recipient of grace. We will see in a moment when she praises God, she says, Lord God, my savior. She was a sinner who had to be saved just like you did. I did and everyone else except Jesus of Nazareth, her son. She was a recipient of grace, not a bestower of grace. I don't pray to Mary to get saved. I don't pray to Mary to forgive sins. She's my sister in Christ and one who's high, the most highly favored that's ever walked planet Earth because she got to carry the Messiah, but she was still a sinner who had to be saved. Now, I'm not telling you that to berate Catholic theology or anyone else who might believe that. She is blessed. Among women, highly favored, because she's chosen to carry the Messiah, but she still had to be saved herself and can't forgive sins, can't answer prayers. She's a sinner, blessed by God. We'll see that in a moment. Verse 29, 29. She saw him, she was troubled at his saying, Considered what manner of greeting this was. She was disturbed, she was confused. Now, drop verse 30. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. you found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb. Bring forth a son who will call his name Jesus. Drop down to verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? Here's her favor. Number one, your son is going to be the savior of the world. That'd be pretty cool, right? Like, Steve's like to brag on Brock all the time. Brock's my son. A lot to brag on there. I, I got a son. I like to brag. Well, oh, I got a, no. Brag on my son. Can you see y'all sitting around? Well, my son is president of the United States. I don't know if that's really good right now or not. My son is a great basketball player. My son is great football player. Really? My son is Jesus, the Savior of the world. All right, let's move on to eat. That conversation's over. Your son's going to be the Savior. Think about that. What mama wouldn't be proud of her boy? They're proud anyway. My son is the Messiah. I know most of you remember, some of you may be too young, particularly my generation and even younger remember Larry King, the Forever, was forever on CNN, a you know, famous interviewer, and uh, if you watch Dodger baseball games, he's always sat on the front row at every Dodger baseball game. So I think he still does. I don't know if he's still alive or not. Larry King. Larry King was Jewish, and, and I used to listen to him because he, I, he was a great interviewer, I thought. And he was asked one time, if there's anybody in history that you would like to interview, who would it be, and what would you ask them? You know what his answer was? I want to interview Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, he was Jewish. Not, didn't claim to be a Christian. I don't think he claimed to be religious at all. But he said, I want to interview Jesus of Nazareth. And I want to ask him one question. Were you born of a virgin? Because if he was, that explains history to me. That's what Larry King said. He said how significant the virgin birth is. Again, you got theologians now in churches and all over our country you say that's oh, no, not a big deal. Yes it is. He couldn't be the sinless savior of mankind if he was born of a, if his mother was not a virgin. Your son's going to be the savior of the world. But how else was she favored verse 32. Your son will be great. Great. That's a direct reference to Psalm 47:2 which says the Lord most high is awesome. He's a great king over all the earth. The literal of the original language means he is exceedingly mighty and extraordinary. He's deity. He's above all this. He's God. Not only will your son be the savior, not only will your son be great, your son will be, verse 32, the son of the highest. And the highest means the supreme over all. Sovereign. Savior, Creator, God, the Incarnation. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible says, Jesus is far above all principality and power and mind and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. He is eternal God. Verse 32, your son's going to sit on the throne of David. Your son, verse 33, will reign forever. Verse 33, your son will have a kingdom with no end. All of these things are a direct reference to what it said earlier to Joseph that he would be the son of David, to sit on the throne of David, God's covenant promise to David. I'm going to read it to you from 2 Samuel chapter 7. Speaking to David, it says, When your days are fulfilled, David, and you rest with your fathers, I, God, will set up your seed After you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David was the great king, man after God's own heart, the great king of Israel. God said to him, your seed is going to be the eternal king, the king of kings. His kingdom will be eternal, will be forever, and he will sit on the throne of David. That's what Gabriel is telling Mary. Your son, Jesus, is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Verse 35, your son will be that holy one. Verse 35, your son will be the son of God. Isaiah chapter 9 says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The child that was to be born would be the Son of God who is given, and he will have the eternal government. He will be Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Your Son, Mary, is the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament talked about Messiah, the God man. That's who he is. Now, let's briefly look. And Mary, how Mary responds down in verse 38. Look at her faith. Gabriel says, all this is going to happen because with God, nothing's impossible. And then verse 38, Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, exclamation point. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Notice, maidservant of the Lord. I'm a servant of your will, God, whatever you want. For me, okay. I'm surrendered to your word. I trust you. I will obey you. And then you get into what's called, been called her, the Magnificat, from Latin, of this section of scripture. Mary's Magnificat, her song of praise. That's literally what it means. Now Mary, again, is a 13-year-old girl. I want you to set, we've got just enough time, set the stage for this, and then we're going to look at it. Mary's a 13-year-old girl. Righteous, godly. The only time she's ever heard scripture was when it was read to her in synagogue. She would not have had her own personal copy. The rabbis had that. So she's, the only time she's heard it was when it was read to her at synagogue and then they would talk about it in her family. It's a godly home. Well, she's not openly saying, I like this, I'll use this in my song, I'll use this. This is coming from her heart. 13-year-old girl. Drop down to verse 46. She bursts forth into this song of praise. Quotes, 1 Samuel, quotes the Psalms, five of the Psalms, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, Genesis. Remember, only having had it read to her, that she's quoting all of this, bursts forth into song, coming from her heart. It, the message here is, I've hidden... Your word in my heart, Lord, that I might not sin against you. Do you understand why Bible study is so important? I got to know what God says, wants, and desires if I'm going to be what God wants me to be. And Mary certainly was. Verse 46, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit is rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maid servant." Her song of praise, number one, first thing she praises God for is her own personal salvation. God, my Savior. She had to be redeemed, be born again, just like me or you. And she's praising God for that in her magnificent song. She begins with her jubilant praise of joy overflowing from her heart. I rejoice in God, my Savior. Her whole life is this worship song. And she's going to take Jesus to synagogue and teach him the same as he grows up in her home. Then he says, "God is reg-, verse 48, God has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. In other words, God recognizes who I am, my, her humility. Nobody special in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God, she was the chosen one. Joseph and Mary both. Not because of the ego, Their pride, their success, they didn't have that. He chose them because of their humility and their willingness to be servants who obeyed him. And then she says, she's praising God for her personal blessing. Verse 48 again. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. not because of any special innate quality in me, but because God has chosen me. For all time, people will call me blessed. And to this day, some of it in error, but to this day, we talk about her, how special she was. God chose her. He who is mighty, holy is his name, not my name, It's all about glorifying God. And then finally, she praises God for his mercy for all mankind, for keeping his word. Verse 50. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He's put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. She's praising God for who he is and what he's always done for human beings. He shows mercy on those who worship him. And for those who are proud and reject him, they will ultimately feel his judgment. The humble will be exalted and the last shall be first. And he blesses those who Who want to be righteous? Jesus put it this way quote, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. End quote. And then finally, that promise keeping, verse 54. He's helped his sermon Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his seed forever. This is the Abrahamic covenant. We talked about the Davidic covenant earlier. This is the Abrahamic covenant. All the Bible and all history flows from the Abrahamic covenant. He promised Israel he would bring the Messiah, promised Abraham his seed, through his seed all the nations of the world would be blessed. And now he's doing that, and I, Mary, get to be part of that. Abraham's seed forever. Salvation is through Jesus, her son. In verse 56, Mary remained with her Elizabeth about three months and returned to her house. Life goes on, even if you're the mother of the Messiah. It just goes on. C.S. Lewis was talking about this, and he said, The whole thing, Christmas narrows and narrows until at last it comes down to a little point, as small as the point of a spear, a Jewish girl at her prayers. Mary and Joseph trusted God and obeyed God. It's a magnificent picture, Gabriel's message to them. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, as we close out our time together today, we just thank you for history. For Jesus of Nazareth, we thank you for his parents. Both Joseph and Mary, that they were godly. They were righteous. Confronted, yeah, afraid, confused. But their ultimate decision was, Lord, whatever you want, I want. I'm your servant. I trust you. I obey you. Whatever the consequences are, I trust you, Lord. I pray my life for all of us that we can have that kind of faith because it's hard. Sometimes it's just hard. But you know you're carrying us. You're beyond us. You know what you're doing, and one day we'll know it. We just pray even something as simple as the birth of the Christ child, which is the most important event in history leading to the crucifixion and the resurrection, that we'd be excited about people understanding it in the real meaning. That message Gabriel had, don't be afraid. So we'll see next week he says to the shepherds, God has sent you the Savior, peace on earth. Everybody talks about it. We find it in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Lord, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand if you're here as we close out our time together.